lines. We are back. Fault lines. Don't forget, you can get the newsletter. Go over to populist.tv, subscribe to the newsletter. We'll send you highlights and the podcast I'm doing when I get to it about the Ukraine Russiagate story that will explain it all from the beginning. You can get that over there. Okay, joining us now is our good friend Patrick Henningsen from 21st Century Wire. We like to have Patrick on every week to update us on events, and usually he's in the UK where he lives. But he is over, I hear you're in Beirut now, right, Patrick? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, yeah, I'm actually uh, in Lebanon right now. Now, and how's uh, how's Lebanon? Uh, Lebanon is beautiful. Uh, it's great, uh, great weather. Uh, it's politically uh, active and charged as as usual, as it always is. And uh, there's a lot going on in the region around it. So it's certainly an important key state uh, in Middle Eastern politics. And we want to talk to you about the Middle Eastern stuff going on right now with Trump pulling the troops off the border of Syria. We'll talk to you about that in the next segment. Let's talk about some, I know you're not in England, but I assume you've been keeping up with the news there. So let's talk about a couple things. First off, where are we with Brexit right now? So I think it's a little confusing because, but, but just update us, where, where are we at right now in, in that story? They're supposed to, it was supposed to be the end of the month. The end of October was supposed to be when they exit. Where are we at now? Uh, there's a bit of a, a bluff going on right now. I think uh, both sides uh, claim they want a general election. Uh, it's it's anyone's guess, and it's doubtful, at least looking at the latest poll numbers, that Labor, uh, led by Jeremy Corbyn, is ready for a general election. Uh, the Tories seem to have, uh, all, by all the latest polling, a uh, significant margin uh, if there is a general election held today. So uh, I'm not sure what the strategy is, uh, but uh, if that happens, if there is a delay, it looks like there very well might be a delay uh, where Article 50 might be pushed uh, past the 31st of October. And then a general election contest uh, happens and both sides will make their case to the country. And if Boris Johnson wins that general election, if he goes into some sort of electoral pact uh, with the Brexit party and, and comes out victorious, he can pretty much do any Brexit that he wants at that point. Uh, so I think it's just gonna get really um, intense in terms of media stories, uh, fear mongering, what, what a no deal Brexit might look like. And the mean, meanwhile, the EU seems to be dragging its feet on the plan that Boris Johnson has tentatively put out uh, to Brussels. Of course, all this will be finalized or better known next week, late next week, uh, as we approach the uh, EU summit on the 17th and 18th of October. Um, uh, 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 the question I have, you know, there's a, uh, you know, it seems like a, uh, you know, we've kind of snickered a little bit about it, the pole dancer scandal with, with Bojo, um, which, you know, I mean, it's the kind of thing you can snicker about. But the question is, is does it have legs to it? Is it serious enough to, and if you could, uh, is it serious enough to? I just want to check on, did you just ask if the stripper story has legs? Yeah, maybe that was okay. not the best metaphor. But at any rate, um, is it something that actually could threaten because we do, you know, now it's being reported that apparently she got her hands on, you know, 100,000 pounds or so of taxpayers' money. In that instance, is it enough? Is there enough to that story that could legitimately threaten um, Bojo's uh, political future? 
Maybe, maybe it could. Uh, that's certainly possible. I mean, I, I don't know what the public appetite is for those types of scandals at the moment. Uh, there's a little bit of scandal fatigue going on. Uh, you've also got the, the the Jeffrey Epstein story just keeps getting, uh, it just keeps making its way back into the headlines via Prince Andrew, for instance, in the UK. So, uh, in, so that that could be an issue, but I think the overriding issue of uh, Brexit, yes, it could damage Boris Johnson, the individual potentially, but Brexit as a, as a wider issue with a wider appeal to the public, uh, it, Boris almost has the Trump effect coming into play, whereby uh, people are so concerned with the bigger, broader uh, issues, uh, issues of uh, national sovereignty, patriotism, national identity, and so forth, all of that overrides uh, any sort of other scandals or any sort of personal uh, besmirchment of characters uh, like this scandal could do to to Johnson. So even if he was replaced or ousted in some salacious uh, uh, coup, then the issue is still going to be there. There's st the public seems to be overwhelmingly, at least in the British uh, heartland areas, uh, in favor of, of, of leaving the EU. So uh, that's could, it could delay things. It could make things complicated. But the Brexit's not going away in the background there, and it's people will select a leader or a government that's uh, going to deliver that. And so the, the Remain camp is just hoping to to shorten the gap in terms of public opinion on that issue. But I don't know how much success they're actually having on that. We got a caller, Crystal from Delaware, is a disabled U.S. vet, has a question or comment um, for um, uh, uh, Patrick regarding Syria. Crystal, you're on the air. Yes. Hi. Good morning to you guys. Uh, Patrick, I just wanted to um, make a statement and actually get your take. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm really concerned. I support Trump um, and his foreign policy in, in most all areas. However, this Syria thing, I think, is a grave mistake. It, there is no way that it's worth bringing a thousand troops home to yield our foothold there, should we need to have an all-out war from there again at some time? Nobody knows. But if, if we give up that ground and, and leave the Kurds, what, do you – so if something would come up, do we have – do we have – are we able to have a foothold or somewhere to fight from? Well, before, I want to ask you, before, before you answer that, if, if I could take a second, uh, Patrick. Uh, Crystal, here's my question for you. Um, that's that's Syria. The U.S. has put troops in a country. It's not our country. So we weren't invited. And you're saying we give up our foothold. Let me ask you this question, Crystal. Do you believe we have a right to be in Syria because we weren't invited there and the Syrians want us to leave and it's not our government? So my question is this. Do you believe that we have a right to be in a country that doesn't want us there, that didn't invite us when we just forced ourselves in the country? Crystal, what do you think? Oh. I believe we have a right to be there because the Kurds want us there. And if we were to pull out, they were going to be massacred. Do you think that if, let's say, um, the people in um, Maryland decided that they wanted the Chinese there, do you think the Chinese would have a right to send troops to Maryland? Well, in actuality, I think the Assad government is a... But you didn't answer the question, that specific question. Ours is not. Ours oh. is, is not. You know what I'm saying? So, no, Chinese could not, uh, wouldn't be able to come over here and go into Maryland, invited into Maryland. All right. Thanks a lot, Crystal. All right, Patrick. Well, 
Go ahead. Patrick, you're back. Sure, on. sure. What are your thoughts on the last yeah. call? Uh, I think uh, the caller reflects a uh, uh, belief of a lot of Americans that uh, probably watch Fox News or watch CNN and the sort of marinated in this sort of set of facts that are that are put out for them by the U.S. mainstream media that somehow uh, the, the, the Kurds have some sort of a nation state uh, located in Syria, which isn't true at all. Uh, they're not even the majority in northeastern Syria, where the U U.S. is uh, currently occupying alongside the so-called Syrian Democratic Forces, the SDF forces, who are basically Kurdish YPG uh, militia who have been given you know, a patch on their uniform that says SDF and loads of weapons and money by the U.S., uh, and they wouldn't be massacred uh, by the Syrian government. That's just a preposterous statement, and they wouldn't be massacred by ISIS if the Syrian army was allowed in with the Russians and also your Iranian militia and Hezbollah, they would pretty much wipe out ISIS probably within 30 days. I would say give it a month and ISIS would be completely wiped out if the U.S. was to pull out and allow uh, the Syrian Arab army in. And probably this would force the, the Kurd, Kurdish separatists, if there are any, uh, real separatists in there would uh, force them to negotiate with Damascus and come to some sort of a, uh, a arrangement. Uh, so that's the reality on the ground. Uh, but it's an incredibly complicated uh, situation. And by the way, the U.S. has a foothold in the region. It's called Iraq. And we have absolutely uh, incredible amount of military assets stationed there. We have the biggest CIA station in the region uh, located uh, in the U.S. Embassy, probably. It's unofficial, but I, I assume that that's uh, the size of the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad is probably hosting a massive intelligence and uh, surveillance operation in there, plus U.S. troops and special forces assets and uh, Air Force uh, aircraft in Erbil and Kurdistan, using that Kurdistan, Iraqi Kurdistan, as a kind of U.S. beachhead as well for certain military assets, plus we have a giant base in Qatar, uh, we have the Fifth Fleet stationed in Bahrain. I mean, to say that the U.S. doesn't have a foothold or needs to have a foothold in northeastern Syria is, frankly, ridiculous. Well, I, I will say this, though. The, the, here's the problem. It's a, it's a very complex situation because the problem with the U.S. pulling out now the way they did is it's allowing Erdogan to invade another country. It is a, we're, 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 we're essentially saying to Erdogan, we're going to get out of your way while you invade Syria. And that after he clears the Kurds out, he's not going anywhere. Right. He, he is there. There's there's he's going to take land. And so I think part of the purpose of this. And again, I don't know. If, again, I'm not I'm not trying to be overly uh, optimistic about Trump. But I'll just ask you bluntly, Patrick, we got we only got a minute left in this segment. But do you how how much do you think Trump really knows what's going on and controls foreign policy. Be honest. I think it, it, it depends on how much power his National Security Council actually have. Uh, it depends on how much sway that uh, they or he has with uh, the Pentagon, uh, whether he's able to make his own case or stand up to his own decisions. But uh, in terms of Turkey and Erdogan, uh, he has a lot of optics to consider his running on a certain agenda in Turkey, staying in power with his base in Turkey. They're expecting him to do certain things, and he very well may go into that area, may uh, try to neutralize what he sees as a Kurdish threat, and then pull back 
that's very possible. And certainly if they're sitting at the table with Russia, Syria, Turkey, and Iran, uh, if not the U.S. sitting at that table, that it's very possible that it could be an optics move by Turkey. I just don't see them occupying Syria for very long, although they are uh, keeping hold of certain fringes like Afrin, Jarbalus, and some of these other areas uh, near their border. Yeah, and, and we'll talk about the Afrin situation coming up. we got Patrick Henningsen from 21st Century Wire joining us. You can follow him on Twitter at 21Wire. And that Afrin situation, Garland, that happened about a year, I think a year and a half ago maybe. And that was another situation where I was in the White House that day in the press room when they announced that. And nobody, you know what happened was I did a little stand-up. Uh, you know, I put the camera up. Right. And I had my microphone. I did a little stand-up. And there was a guy from the foreign press in the press room. There was a, 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 and he heard me. And he stopped me and he said, you're the only guy in here who actually knows what's going on. Well, and, and by the way, he was a cameraman. He wasn't right. a reporter. And you know, the sad thing is that, that, that that's probably not true. You knew there's other people in there that know what's going on, but it is their job to obfuscate. You know, sadly, there are a lot of people whose job is not to report. It is to basically be stenographers for the government, um, you know, the intel I, community. I will, I will tell you, I, in, in my experience, they honestly don't know what's going on. Now, you could say that it's a situation where this happens sometimes where, you know, you know, like you, you hear about situations where the mother knows her kid is being abused by a boyfriend, let's say. Does that make sense? Right. And she doesn't do anything about it. That's a Joker spoiler, by the way. But uh, where that will happen, I think it's that. They don't want to know. we got Patrick Henningsen with us. One more segment coming up. You're listening to Fault Lines with Nixon and Stranahan. Tune in every Monday to Loud and Clear with Brian Becker for our regular segment, Education for Liberation with Bill Ayers, where we take a look at the state of education across the country, what's happening in our schools, colleges, and universities, and what impact does it have on the world around us. Our resident expert is Bill Ayers, the legendary activist, educator, and author. Tune in to Loud and Clear this Monday and every Monday for Education for Liberation with Bill Ayers. Welcome back to Fault Lines with Nixon and Stranahan on 105.5 FM and 1390 AM in Washington, D.C. We have with us now the founder of independent news website, 21st Century Wire. It's Patrick Henningsen. Patrick, welcome back to Fault Lines. Uh, great to be with you guys. So let's pivot a bit to um, Ukraine, to the aftermath of, you know, the Maidan 2014. Um, the U.S., I think one of the things that we're looking at right now with the with the biden um uh controversy and with the uh the you know the the whole uh, alleged whistleblower thing is is that aftermath whereas after the maidan a lot of uh, americans and westerners as the neoliberals tend to do they cause chaos in a country and then they go in and then they pick the bones you know of the of the economy it seems to me that that's kind of what's in a way being exposed and they're running from that and that is that was the usual, the Maidan coup that the U.S. was behind. And then Biden and I'm sure other people went in and just basically cleaned up and made a fortune. And as Trump said, I thought it was really hilarious the way Trump, but but very, very uh, a brilliant communication, actually. And, you know, I'm not a Trump supporter. It was a brilliant communication when Trump um, spoke about the, the Biden situation. And he said, 
the kid knew nothing, and he walked away with millions. <laughs> you know, I'm like, well, that really sums it up. What are your thought on what's go- what are your thoughts on what's going on now um, as a result of what happened in Ukraine and how we got to where we are now with the whole Biden slash CIA whistleblower operative uh, thing? I, I look at this as uh, this latest Ukraine gate is just it's just a straw man. It's a straw man story that's been erected to cover, to conceal uh, uh, years and years of uh, taking advantage, opportunism, uh, geopolitical subterfuge in the Ukraine that really started uh, in real terms, I'd say, in 2013 and culminated in the Maidan coup in February of 2014. And all of the things that have gone on behind the scenes there, like handpicking the uh, leadership of the country, ousting a democratically elected president, uh, cherry-picking industries, uh, putting people into positions of uh, board positions to run whole sections of industry there, trying to engineer their agricultural sector so it's more Western-oriented, corporate-oriented, fracking. There's a fracking agenda with regards to Burisma and so forth. So I think this has conveniently uh, served as a... A smokescreen. I think it's a calculated risk on the part of uh, the the Democrats and the remnants of the Obama administration to try to throw this up as a smokescreen. I think it's a calculated risk because it risks bringing up a lot of other stuff that can float to the surface if people start really looking into this. And everything that we're talking about here, uh, right back to the sort of uh, uh, Ukrainian involvement uh, with the DNC, uh, with the Steele dossier, all these. This is all public knowledge. Uh, so is Joe Biden's son's involvement with Burisma, Joe Biden's involvement himself interfering, meddling uh, in Ukrainian politics, uh, basically racketeering, threatening heads of state, saying that if you don't leave office, uh, we're going to make life hell for your country. Um, this is what it is uh, on the surface. But uh, I think the media is working overtime to try to create a sort of parallel narrative uh, to keep people from really inspecting what is probably the biggest foreign policy debacle, uh, potentially. And that's that's saying a lot, by the way, of, of the last 10 years. Yeah. Now, I saw somebody on RT back in July who referred to this story. The Hunter Biden story is sort of a gateway drug to the truth that's going on. I thought that was a very good statement. And that was a point. That was me, actually, who said that on <laughs> RT back in July. I was on with Minella Chan. And I said that, but I, I think I was essentially saying... I was prescient, uh, Patrick. I was kind of saying what you're saying, which is the the Hunter Biden story. Here's the thing about the Hunter Biden story. It's really easy to understand. It's not hard to get into the weeds with, which is Hunter Biden was making $50,000 a month for to be on this board. And that to the average person is like, what? And then when you find out a little bit more of his background, you go, what? And then when you see the video of him bragging about you got to get the prosecutor out of there in six hours or else you go okay boom that's really super easy to understand but the problem is the real story and and by the way i'm gonna i'm gonna go a little less far than you did the next part is the election interference because that's also fairly easy to understand is this person alexander chalupa dnc operative went to ukraine that was reported in politico then the next part is what you're talking about, grasping the foreign policy debacle. So for the average person who grows up in American propaganda, oh, and by the way, this reminds me, I got a quick question for you, Patrick. 
because part of sure. part of part of what they don't want you to know here is the involvement. Uh, you'll you'll see this like Victoria Newland because that leads to Jonathan Weiner, and he's Bill Browder's attorney, and nobody in this country wants to talk about Bill Browder and the Magnitsky Act and how that's been used to demonize Russia by billionaires who profited from it. So, but let me ask you this, Patrick, a personal question. You've, how long have you lived in England? Uh, on and off, for 25 years. Okay. Have you renounced your U.S. citizenship? No. Right. Okay, there you go, Garland. I saw Bill Browder on Glenn Beck's show, and he was saying, oh, I emigrated to England. No, you Not didn't. Not exactly emigrated. No, you didn't emigrate. You renounced your U.S. citizenship. And I just thought I would ask Patrick, since he's lived in England, they don't require you to live in England. They don't require you. So why would you renounce your U.S. citizenship, Patrick? It's probably to avoid taxes, wouldn't it be? I mean, the yeah, I think that story is pretty well documented uh, with regards to Bill Browder. So uh, it doesn't take a genius to figure that out. Well, yeah, you know, Patrick, I want to ask you this because this is this is Garland. This is my evaluation of Ukraine Gate, and 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 and, and this is when it sums it down to all the things we talk about, Hunter Biden, all those. Forget all that. Here's the way I see it, and I want to ask you if you think if you what you think. I believe. That the keys to um, the the Russia Gate, the, the origins of the Russia Gate investigation, are in Ukraine, and that also the keys to connect the CIA, the United States intelligence operation of Russia Gate to the DNC, the Democratic Party, the Clintons, etc., through um, Alexander Chalupa and other people, are there, and that. Even though you, in, on the surface, to me, I look at it and I'm like, well, they don't have a crime here. What are they moving forward? I think this is desperation. I really don't think the intelligence community had a, had a, cha had a choice, that they looked at it and they said, they're getting too close. We can't afford for them to get to Ukraine and start investigating that. And so they came out with this operation, which to me looks like a flop. But everybody's it's like the emperor that has no clothes. I'm looking at it saying there's no crime here. They're moving forward as if, as if there was one. So what do you think of my evaluation that this is all about stopping the bar and Durham and all the investigation looking into Ukraine and finding the dirt? And the problem they're having is that it's having the, uh, the opposite effect that everybody's now like looking on, on, on Ukraine. What do you think, Patrick, about that? Yeah, the core the core argument being put forward uh, by the Democrats is that uh, Donald Trump's abused uh, his executive power in order to uh, investigate or somehow interfere with a quote political opponent and the answer to that uh, claim is uh, pretty pretty simple uh, one the ex-vice president does not have any uh, legal immunity uh, doesn't have executive privilege uh, everybody who's involved with any of the chicanery that's uh, taken place between the U.S. and the Ukraine, namely Joe Biden was actually in charge of the whole portfolio of the Ukraine during that period and did 13 trips at least minimum to and from the United States and the Ukraine over a two-year period. Uh, so, you know, he's not immune from any uh, inquiries. Now, if, if the government in the Ukraine wants to share any information about anything that's untoward that they believe they've discovered with the U.S., then so, so be it. If there's anything that comes out of that, then that's going to be put into the public arena and people are going to be looking at that. The DOJ has a right to look at any of that because all of this basically comes back to uh, election meddling in the 2016 election, which was, as, as we now know, wasn't about Russia meddling 
in the 2016 election. It was there was more Ukrainian actors and more British actors meddling in the U.S. 2016 election, and there was no evidence of any Russian meddling, uh, according to the Mueller report. So it's I think you're right, Garland. It has it, it, I think is a calculated risk, uh, strategic move uh, by uh, this group of people, and I think it's. I think it's very dangerous because there's so much buried uh, in the Ukraine, uh, so many uh, scandals, so much high-level crimes, uh, larceny, international racketeering, regime change, all of these things were just conveniently swept under the rug for so long and were hardly queried. Imagine if Donnie Jr. was on the board of a Saudi oil company while Trump was president and getting paid, you know, a couple of million a year for doing nothing, the media would be up in arms. Well, but because well, well, it was well, Patrick, Joe Biden's son. Yeah, yeah. Patrick, you got to add this. Imagine if the U.S. were to overthrow Venezuela, and then after we overthrew Venezuela, that Don Jr. was now in charge of Sitco for fifty, you know, on the board of Sitco for fifty grand. They, they, you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? That because that's basically this is what happened. You after you overthrow the government, then you put your son in there, and that's what makes the Democratic Party look so bad. Because in uh, in arguing that they're going after corruption, they have to defend unbelievable corruption. We got to call Jill from Chicago. Jill, you have a, co a comment and or question for Patrick Henningsen from Twenty First Century Wire dot com. Oh, hi, Garland. Um, yeah, actually, I was just going to point out something that you guys um, had gone over in the beginning of the show about Irgoan. Um You know, are, are, are you still, can, can I still talk? Yep, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, we're all ears. Okay. So about two weeks ago, um, Irgoan was at that climate change, um, you know, conference in New York, um, and he did like a 15-minute speech, and it's a really – you know, high, hyper speech. I mean, he, he talks about a lot of things. And one of the things he brought up was he was saying, look, give me the border, give me the, in between Syria and Turkey. And, um, he, and he said, and I want, I can fit 3 million refugees there. And, um, and he had this whole proposal about it and he had maps. And so when you were bringing up in the beginning of the radio show, that Trump is pulling um, troops out and, you know, has made some kind of um, plan with Erdogan. I immediately thought of that UN two weeks ago. Um, I don't know if you guys watched it. It's, you know, Erdogan tends to be very, um, you know, um, dramatic. And yeah. uh, well, okay, Jill, uh, let's get a comment from uh, Patrick. Patrick, what are your thoughts on, on, on Jill's call? Yeah, it, w it wasn't a climate change conference. It was actually, I think it was the UN General Assembly. Uh, but I think what she was referring to is uh, the plan by Turkey to set up safe zones. This has been a long-running talking point between the United States and Turkey to set up these safe zones for refugees. And in this case, it's uh, Turkey wanting to basically cleanse its hands of the refugee problem that, in fact, if you look at the problem is Turkey helped to create that refugee problem by backing uh, the so-called rebels in Syria from 2011 till probably, you know, they're still they're still using remnants of the Free Syrian Army as their shock troops uh, in places like Afrin and in, in areas like Idlib, the Aleppo countryside, Jarbalus and so forth. So Turkey's actually 
directly responsible uh, for the proliferation of militants. They've been also implicated with uh, letting ISIS uh, traverse their border back and forth. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, Patrick, this is a, pro it's a problem. Yeah, yeah, Patrick, where can people go online to um, to, to find out your stuff uh, and, and, and find your information for 21st Century? Yeah, 21stCenturyWire.com, uh, and also every Sunday for the Sunday Wire radio show, 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and uh, also 21, at 21Wire and Twitter. Well, Patrick, enjoy your time there in, uh, in Lebanon, and always great to have you with us. Thanks a lot for the incisive analysis. I got to say, Garland, I do, I do detect that people, I think one of the things that's happening with this uh, Ukraine story is I am seeing people Again, they're being misled by people like Glenn Beck. They're being misled by Fox. A lot of it's wrong. But again, people are talking about it. And this is why I did say back in July on RT with Manila that this is the gateway drug. And as people are starting to get into this, there, it, it's, it, you can't expect people to get everything overnight. So that's not what I expect. And that's why I think the Glenn Becks of the world are coming out and misleading people. They realize that if this goes down the path, I'll give it again. For instance, it's fairly easy. Let's say Victoria Newland. How hard is that to get? And the, the, nothing. It's simple. Right. Seconds, you can get it online. Seconds. And, and the reason it's easy is because like the Joe Biden brag, it's up on YouTube. Look up Victoria Newland phone call and look up Victoria Newland Ukraine, and you'll see there's $8 billion. She brags about the $8 billion we spent. You see what I'm saying? Right. So once people start realizing that, they go, wait a minute, what happened here? But right now the information is being kept for them, but people are getting smarter and it's not going to end well. I really don't think it's going to end well for a lot of these people, but what else can they do? One more hour coming up with the best morning news show in America. It's Fault Lines and Nixon and Stranahan.